Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I'm very excited to have with me a male guest, which is quite unusual in my series, but I'm really excited to have uh, Dr. Tony Branson, who's a doctor who specialises in cancer medicine in Newcastle. So welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thank you. Nice to be here. Ah, So before we get started, could you just tell me just a bit about your background and what you do and how you've managed to get to where you've gone over the last few years? Yes, well, I've been working in Newcastle for all of my consultant career, which uh, started quite a long time ago, back in the late 80s. And when I first started, I used to treat all sorts of cancer. And then as time has gone by, we've tended to specialise on particular cancer sites. And I now treat predominantly breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's very common, isn't it, breast cancer? It's one of the most common cancers that, that we see, yes. Mm. So, I mean, when I was at medical school in the 80s, I was taught one in 12 women had, that was their lifetime risk. And then when I was qualified, it was one in 11. And now some studies I read is one in eight, one in seven. So it's become more common, hasn't it? It has indeed. Um, it's hard to say why, but it's probably due to the aging population more than anything else. Mm. And it's one of those cancers that thankfully the treatment has advanced and changed. And so the majority of women who've had breast cancer actually have a very good long-term outlook, don't they, in their lives? Yes, certainly. I mean, certainly since I've been working in the field, the proportion of patients who go on to live uh, normal length lives without any further cancer has gone up considerably. And even for those whose cancer sadly recur, the length of time that this can be kept under control has now runs into years for a large number of them. Mm. Which is absolutely wonderful, and it must be obviously so rewarding for you as a cancer doctor, but also clearly for the patients, their families. And one of the things that we're both interested in and what I want to talk about in this podcast is looking at women's health beyond their breast cancer, because obviously as a menopause doctor, I see a lot of women who will go through the menopause naturally because they're living longer because of their breast cancer, which is great, but also a lot of the drugs that they're given that block the effects of oestrogen on the breast can lead them to go into an earlier menopause and so I see a lot of women who are struggling and we've had lots of conversations over the last year or so since I met you about the whole quality of life issues and what can be done because the menopause isn't just about symptoms of course it's about risks and as a lot of people who are listening know that women who are menopausal have an increased risk of heart disease and we know that women who have had breast cancer actually the commonest cause of death is heart disease isn't it not from their breast cancer so we need to look at helping their symptoms but their future health don't we yes that's true I mean I think there are two elements one clearly is their future health from other conditions that may have been made more probable by the treatment the other side of it is how they actually feel and I to say I'm reminded of uh, a statement made by a fortunately late, but also great oncologist uh, called Robert Buckman, who said, uh, it's no good making people better if they don't feel better. And I'm certainly aware that a number of the patients I've treated have been rid of their cancer, but have been left with really very troublesome symptoms and simply don't feel better. Mm. 
And I think this is what's key, isn't it? And certainly, as you know, I expose myself to lots of women, either directly through my clinic or indirectly through social media. And time and time again, I hear women who are struggling because with the low estrogen levels, it can affect obviously our brains and cause symptoms such as low mood and brain fog and memory problems, but also stiff joints. People can put on weight because of the metabolic changes that occur. People can have really miserable quality of lives. And I think more and more when I talk to women who have had any type of cancer, obviously they are very fortunate and happy and lucky to be alive. But then they say, I have all these symptoms and I don't know where to go and get help. And it can be very difficult sometimes to know also if they're tired is that because of their treatment or is it because of the menopause and that can be difficult as well can't it indeed and i mean certainly the proportion of patients who are on hormone modifying treatments as part of their breast cancer regimen these are these are treatments that are given to reduce the risk of cancer returning um do have a number of symptoms and it is quite often difficult to tease out whether these are due to the treatment or maybe an, another condition. And certainly my practice where patients are complaining significant symptoms is to get them to stop taking these treatments for a shortish period of time, usually six weeks or so, and see how they feel. And some of them will say, well, I don't feel any different. And at least you can then say, well, your symptoms are unlikely to be due to the, the tablets you're taking. And other people will say that they feel wonderful. They feel so much better. Mm. And then there's a decision to be made, really. And for some of them, they may say, yeah, I feel much better, but I'm really concerned about the risk of not continuing to take this treatment. And one can discuss with them the magnitude of that risk. But, but that risk is not one which they feel happy to face. And so they may go back to taking the tablets. Or I may mm. at least try them on a, a different medication, which might suit them better. Others may say, well, you've told me what the level of benefit in terms of risk reduction is. And it's usually quite modest. It's not it's not a huge mm. amount, single figure percentage in terms of mm. over 10 years. And they say, well, actually, I'd rather take that risk and feel well than deal with that risk and, and not feel well. Yes, and I think that's very interesting, isn't it? And I think there's certainly, obviously, there's the aromatase inhibitors, which really block estrogen throughout the body in quite a dramatic way and then there's drugs such as tamoxifen which have interesting roles in the body don't they because they can affect estrogen in a negative and positive way depending on whereabouts in the body and a lot of women I speak to have been told they have to take these drugs sometimes five years sometimes 10 years and they're not told anything different and then they don't know who to see when they experience symptoms I saw someone recently in my clinic who had a very small cancer diagnosed by breast screening about eight years ago and she was told she had to take her aromatase inhibitor for 10 years and her husband actually got in touch with my husband because they know each other and said my wife's not how she used to be she's hobbling like an old woman she stopped exercising she's miserable she keeps getting urine infections the whole family are worried and we don't know what to do. And my husband said, well, it would be her hormones. So she said, what do, you, what do you mean? And so we had a discussion and I said to her, well, why don't you just stop for six weeks, like you say, and then maybe you could think about tamoxifen, we'll speak to your oncologist and we can do it very. And I just got an email this afternoon, actually, from her to say, 
I feel so much better already. And my consultant has agreed I'm going to try tamoxifen, but my joints aren't as stiff. So I'm walking 20,000 steps a day and I'm walking with my daughter and it's lovely. But I think women are, you know, as patients, we want to do the best for our future health, don't we? And so just to hear from you to say a six-week drug holiday is not really going to make any big difference, is it, in long-term outcome? Well, certainly stopping for six weeks does not mm. significantly increase the risk of, of the cancer coming back. And I actually say to people, look, I, I have to say that if, you know, God forbid, your cancer came back during the six weeks, it was going to any. Yes. Part of the problem from is, is probably a doctor mindset in that we're there, so we th- feel, to try and stop as many people dying from cancer as we possibly can or have their cancer come back. and. Certainly for many of us, you know, the worst thing that can happen is for somebody's cancer to return. Now, mm. when you actually look at it a bit more sort of carefully, that's not necessarily not necessarily the worst thing that could happen from the woman's point of view. Mm. And really what we need to do is to work with rather than on the patients who we see and to discuss mm. things. And as I said, you know, there's some patients who try stopping taking their adjuvant endocrine treatment, feel much better, but say, no, I'm sorry, I've taken everything into account, I'd rather carry on. That's that's fine. That's fine. The, the other thing, you know, you mentioned change, you know, remitase inhibitors, yes, certainly. Significant joint pains are a problem for a proportion, probably about one in 10 patients. Now, Actually, changing the aromatase inhibitor will quite often improve things, although they all have this as a side effect. But equally, changing to tamoxifen may be very much better. Now, we use aromatase inhibitors. We only use them in postmenopausal women. They don't work in premenopausal women. We use those because there have been a number of large studies which show that they are a bit more effective, but not by a huge degree. Now, obviously, as a doctor, when I'm treating lots and lots of people, mm-hmm. then that small difference will actually be a moderate number of women who would be okay. So that's why I would choose that. But for the individual to change from, say, letrozole to tamoxifen, the additional risk they get of their cancer coming back is minuscule. Mm-hmm. And if it makes their life much better, well, that's great. Then it's is great. I mean, certainly we often in my clinic use the PREDICT yeah. tool. Um, I'm sure you have yeah. across it, yeah. which is an NHS. It's a free tool, isn't it, if you just Google NHS yeah. PREDICT and you can put in the type of cancer the patient's had, what treatment they've had, and it gives you this lovely graph, doesn't it? And like you're saying, the percentage of benefit over time with each treatment, and you can see it's a very small often amount with the hormone treatment. They have another um, display, which is of icons. You have little dots which represent all the patients who would be okay. I mean, what that demonstrates very clearly, which um, us oncologists sort of grit our teeth a bit about, is the vast majority of women who are cured of breast cancer are cured by our surgical colleagues. Yes. As one of my oncologist colleagues said, the most effective drug for breast cancer is cold steel. But, mm. You know, it's what we do bumps it up. And I'm sure that yes. women would say, yes, I want the best possible chance of remaining free of cancer. But, you know, you need to weigh these things in the balance. Somebody once said to me a long, long time ago when I was a medical student, you've got to realise that everything we do medically is a swap of one set of problems for another. 
And I guess mm. the discussion is around whether it's a good swap or a bad swap. Absolutely. And we all make different choices, don't we? And so then that brings me on to HRT, hormone replacement therapy, because clearly in my clinic, I give a lot of HRT and recommend it to the majority of women because we know there are more benefits and risks for women because not only it improves symptoms, but reduces future risk of heart disease, diabetes, dementia, osteoporosis and so forth, which is fine for women who haven't had an estrogen receptor positive cancer. But then there's obviously the proportion of women that have. But before we talk about them, there's women who have had an estrogen receptor negative breast cancer. It's different, isn't it? So are these women more able, if you like, to take HRT if they've had an estrogen receptor negative breast cancer? I think there's no doubt that the risk is very, very much less, but we don't quite know whether there's any risk Mm. at all. And certainly... The patient who has significant menopausal symptoms and has had a estrogen receptor negative breast cancer, I'm pretty comfortable with them having HRT. I don't. I, I think the likelihood that they're going to have recurrence of their breast cancer as a consequence is extremely small. One has to say, I mean, there's a group of breast cancers which are defined as triple negative in that they negative for estrogen mm. receptor, negative for progesterone receptor, and negative for another receptor called HER2. And a proportion of these cancers behave, one has to say, very, very badly. They're very high risk. Mm. And so, yes, I guess these patients are at significant risk of recurrence. But I really doubt that HRT would have any bearing on this. And if what short time they have left before their cancer recurs, and sadly they may subsequently die from it, they're in misery because of their menopausal symptoms. That seems rather cruel. Yes, absolutely. So, and then with estrogen receptor positive cancers, you know, there's no good trials, isn't there? There's no study that categorically says women do worse, but there isn't a trial that says they categorically do better, is there? Well, I think that's correct. I mean, I think there's not really, really strong evidence one way or the other. Mm. There was a trial which was carried out, which was stopped prematurely, Mm. which suggested there was a significant increase in recurrence of cancer, there's not actually a demonstrated increase in mortality. And there's been a subsequent trial, which again is small, which really hasn't even shown a significant increase in recurrence. So the fact of the matter is that we don't know. And I guess a lot of it's about our actually rather primitive understanding of the mm. role of hormones in, in breast cancer. As you said before, I think our, our efforts at treating breast cancer with the uh, with hormones are a bit akin to trying to mend watch with a hammer. And, you know, we say estrogen receptor positive, any estrogen cancer will grow like mad. And I think you've mentioned or we've mentioned in the past that women are told that if they have estrogen receptor positive cancer, that their cancer is fed by estrogen. Well, mm. I'm not really sure that. I mean, it's an oversimplification, but an understandable one. Yes, and I think, and I can understand where it's come from because we talk about receptor positive, but we have estrogen receptors on all all our cells practically in our body. And so it doesn't mean that that's caused the cancer. And we know there are other reasons why women have have cancer and especially breast cancer, there are lifestyle risks. So for example, women who are overweight or women who drink alcohol, smokers, family history, there's all sorts of reasons, aren't there? And it's not just every woman who takes HRT gets breast cancer. So we know it's not all about estrogen causing. And 
actually, when we look at the studies of women who take estrogen only HRT, they seem to have a lower risk of breast cancer. And women, it seems to be the progestogen that stimulates something, the synthetic progestogens. So, it, like you say, it's so simplistic, isn't it? It is so synthetic. I mean, obviously, the greatest exposure to progesterone is with pregnancy. Mm. And women who have multiple pregnancies actually have a, a slightly reduced risk of breast cancer. Yes. But estrogen clearly has some role in the development yes. of breast cancer in that about 100 times the number of women get breast cancer as men. Women who have a late onset of their periods and early menopause have a, a reduced risk of breast cancer. But on the other hand, the vast majority of women who have estrogen through their life do not get breast cancer. Mm. And Quite understandably, anybody who gets into the cancer always wants to know why it's happened. And the, the difficulty is we know there are certain things which may increase the risk a bit or a little. And you've mentioned diet and obesity and alcohol and, or, and mm. other sorts of cancer, smoking. But there is a very big element, which I'm afraid is, I'm not going to be too trite about it, but it's bad luck. Absolutely. And, and I do spend, you know, certainly when I was a junior doctor and, and managing women who have had breast cancer and, and they feel so guilty and say, well, if, if and a lot of it is, like you say, it is bad luck. And there's a lot of women who contact me and say, well, my mother had developed breast cancer three weeks after starting HRT. Therefore, it was caused by the HRT. And we know it doesn't, cancer doesn't happen overnight, does it? And, you know, and it's awful that these women have, have felt like that because there's nothing worse than punishing yourself about the past, which we can't change. I think you can say with absolute certainty, and there's not a lot you can say with absolute certainty, is that somebody who got a breast cancer three weeks after starting HRT, the HRT had nothing to do with it. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting bit with HRT is, I mean, I see a number of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer who've been on HRT and almost universally they have been told at some stage and, and a lot of them believe it that the reason they got breast cancer was because they took HRT. Now mm. if you look at the studies about the risk of HRT and breast cancer and if you take the sort of worst case scenario no more than a quarter of women who've taken HRT who get breast cancer have got it because of the HRT. So in other words Three quarters of them will have got it anyhow. Mm. So you can't say there isn't a risk. And as you've mentioned, there are some types of HRT which are probably very much less risky than others, but mm. the risk is not enormous. No. And it needs to be weighed against the benefits. Absolutely. And I think it's very hard, isn't it, when we talk about risk? Because even as a, a patient myself, if someone says to me, you have a one in a thousand risk or a two in 200,000 risk, what does that mean to me as an individual? And we take risks in our life, don't we? The way we cross the road, the way we drive our car, we all take risks. And they're not always based on evidence. They're based on what we want to do with our lives. And this is very difficult, isn't it, sometimes in medicine when there isn't a black and white answer. And I spoke to a lady today, actually, in my clinic who She's a different lady to the lady I mentioned earlier, but she'd had a small cancer diagnosed in 19, oh no, 2012. And she had been taking tamoxifen for six years and had to stop because she was having side effects and felt better coming off it. But she was still having night sweats all the time. She said every time she had a shower, she wants to go back in the shower. The joints were awful. Her brain, her memory concentration were terrible. And so she had decided, she'd had a hysterectomy 
as well. So she just had a little bit of estrogen to top up. And as you know, estrogen only is better than with a synthetic progesterone. And she was feeling amazing, but she'd gone back to the clinic and she was told off. She was told off because she'd only had tamoxifen for six years rather than 10 years. And then the doctor said, well, you can't take HRT. And she said, well, I've chosen that I want to. And he said, well, I'm really not very happy. And it's very hard for her as a patient, but she is very strong and she feels better. And she knows that the evidence is very unclear. And I feel like as a doctor, sometimes we have to take a step back, don't we? And look at the woman as a whole rather than a woman who has a disease. Well, I agree. And I'm quite sad to hear that in lots of ways, but I'm not completely surprised. And the patients are not there for our benefit. Mm. We're there for theirs. Mm. So we need to share with them risks and benefits, the bits that we know about. And then the other side of the coin is what they know about, because I don't know until I'm told for any woman what you know, what the symptoms are like. Some people say, oh, I've, yes. they don't bother me too much. It's better than central heating. Well, that's their view. Others say, you know, my life is just not worth living. I don't judge that because I don't okay. know how they feel. I can only take what they tell me. Mm-hmm. But essentially, this business of quality of life is a very interesting one. I, when I used to teach medical students, I would ask them to define it and get some very interesting bits. And it's interesting because we measure it so it's theoretically objective. But of course, it's subjective. Yes. The best definition I heard of quality of life is is how close your experiences come to your expectations. And so Mm. for some patients, what they expect is one thing and they experience something very different. But some people will cope with, with symptoms because that's what they expect and they're comfortable with that. But it's their own personal view and it's not for us as doctors to impose you know, our scientific belief, as it were, on top of that. We can use our scientific knowledge to inform discussion. Yes, and I think that's so true. And I think one of the reasons that I'm so passionate, if you like, trying to help women is giving them a choice is obviously really important. But I had symptoms just for a few months and I had no idea how it was going to affect my brain before I had it. And, you know, I could not work as a doctor if I wasn't taking HRT. My memory had gone, my brain had gone, my concentration, my ability to function had really gone and my sleep pattern was all over the place. And so if someone said to me, actually, Louise, you will definitely get cancer and it will be breast cancer and you will die 10 years earlier, Actually, I would still choose to take HRT, and that's my personal choice, and I'm not saying anyone else should even contemplate that. But actually, I want to live a fulfilled life, even if it's shorter. And a lot of women say that to me, whereas other women, like you say, don't have such severe symptoms, and they might find by changing their lifestyle or trying an alternative, which obviously we would recommend in the first instance, is enough for them. I've had some ladies who have such bad sweats, I give them a very low antidepressant which can help with the low sweats and that's transformed their lives and that's fine but for women who are really struggling and we both know patients ourselves who have been suicidal because of the effects of low estrogen in their brains and you know as you said to me once well the risk of death from suicide is 100% the risk of death from her taking HRT with respect to her breast cancer will not be 100% and They're hard decisions to make and we don't get taught this, do we, in medical school or as part of our training. And we learn from our patients, I I often do. You know, we're led by what they 
want as well. I think that's right. I think people are being taught more about this and mm. the concept of shared decision making. I mean, we've gone from, and it still exists, from the sort of paternalistic view. You come to me with your problems. I tell you what you need to do about it. Then you either do it or you go away and you know, I won't speak to you. There is a risk with the patient choice where it's a sort of menu-based thing. We say, these are the things you could do, you choose, because written between the lines of that is the thing that says, well, and if it all goes horribly wrong, then it's your fault. Mm. The proper way of doing it, in my opinion, is that you put together the scientific knowledge which we have and the clinical skills that we have along with what matters most to the patient mm. and try and formulate a plan that achieves as much as possible in all those regards. Yes. So, you know, if a patient says, I've got a lump in my breast, and I don't want to have surgery, I'm going to get rid of it by the power of positive thought, then I can't have a shared decision to say that's okay because I mm. honestly believe it won't end well. And I will tell people that. If, on the other hand, they say, look, you told me that if I have four months of chemotherapy and it's my hair fall out and feel terrible that that improves my chances of being alive in 10 years by five percent frankly that's not good enough and I'm very happy to to take that mm. well I'm not happy I'm willing to take that risk in order to avoid going through the process that's okay I mean I've seen patients who've actually the benefit from chemotherapy and, and other drugs is much higher than that and they still mm. think no I'm not going to have that which is right my duty, I feel, is to make sure they do understand what the level of risk is. But it's not 100%. And as you, we just mentioned, you know, there are a few things that are 100%. Yeah, that's so true. And and then there are some people who are on a drug such as tamoxifen, and then they take HRT. And some experts think that will be not work because that tamoxifen can block the effects of estrogen in some parts of the body, whereas other people think it's more protective because you've got a estrogen blocker, if you like, and then you're getting HRT. And again, we don't have the real studies about that, do we? No, we don't. And I think I think it's when there's some studies with tamoxifen and tibolone, which mm. do show some the fact that that actually the tamoxifen doesn't protect a great deal, but they're small and I'm sorry, I go back to the watch and hammer analogy. <laughs> I just don't know. Yes, and some women feel more comfortable taking tamoxifen with HRT and others don't. So again, it's, you know, the jury's out. And I think it, this is what I always say to patients, when doctors can't agree, it's because there's often not enough evidence and we have to just, you know, take each case as an individual. And we should all be treated as an individual, whatever aspect of medicine we're managing. And... People should feel confident. And the other thing I always say to people is if they do start HRT, they're not signing up for a life sentence. They can stop it. They can try it for a few weeks sometimes, a bit like your drug holiday analogy of stopping for six weeks. Often I will give HRT for six to 12 weeks and then they can review. And some women say to me, my goodness, my quality of life is amazing. I'm back at work. I'm happy. This is how I want to live my life. And I'm going to take that risk. Whereas other women say, I don't feel much better. And every day I worry because of what I'm doing. So they stop it. And that's not going to worsen their overall prognosis, really, is it? And another analogy, actually, goes along with that, which, again, there is some evidence, but not strong evidence for, is that particularly with aromatase inhibitors, that taking them some of the time, but not all of the time. So having, say, three months taking them and then three months not taking them, 
might be as effective as taking them all the time. Mm. And some people will find that much more tolerable than taking them the whole time. Now, I couldn't put my hand in my heart and say, I know this is just as good, but I could say there's a possibility that it is and there isn't, it's not completely without some evidence to back it up. Which is very interesting. And also, we know that in the past, oestrogen used to be a treatment, didn't it, for breast cancer? Well, I'd say when, when I was a medical student, I was taught by somebody, an oncologist, who said, and this was the days before we, had, we knew about East, well, we knew about Eastern receptors, but we didn't, we didn't measure them. That if you had somebody who'd got breast cancer that would spread, you could do any number of things. You could give them oestrogen, you could give them tamoxifen, you could give them... There was a drug called amaniglitethamide, which was an early sort of a remitate inhibitor. You could give them androgens. You could remove their adrenal glands. You could remove their pituitary glands. And whatever you did, you would get 30% of the patients responding. The the business of giving estrogen for breast cancer keeps sort of coming to the surface and going away again. I think some of my younger colleagues get very, very scared by that. And it's not something I've done Mm. in a while, but... Again, it is sometimes something that will produce a, a response, as do progestogens. I mean, yes, I've certainly had a, a, a lovely patient years and years ago who came to see me and had got spread of, of her cancer to a bone marrow and really was in about, we couldn't give her chemotherapy. And I actually get treated her with a progestogen because there was some suggestion at that stage that it stimulated the bone marrow. And she told me all about planning her funeral and that she really was sad she'd never get to New Zealand to see one of her children and she wouldn't see her first grandchild born anyhow she did amazingly well we treated her with various other hormones she actually went through the whole sort of cycle of them several times and i got a postcard from new zealand and a picture of her. Oh, wow. so you know i mean these these are what, uh, medically described as anecdotes so they don't prove anything yeah so we don't know do we and you know i I've, um, was talking to a professor from in america from yale university recently and he was saying there is some evidence that estrogen can induce apoptosis so programmed cell death in some cancer tissue including breast cancer so we we don't know and you know this is what we're trying to tease out i suppose in this podcast is that we haven't got the answer but what we have got is to try and help women who are suffering and Talking about suffering, just before we end, I see a huge number and speak to a vast number of women who have symptoms related to vaginal dryness and recurrent urine infections. And vaginal dryness doesn't just cause pain on penetrative sex. It can often cause discomfort sitting down or walking even, can't it? And we know about 70% of women who are menopausal will experience this symptom. And we know about 7% of women receive treatment, which is shocking in my mind. But a lot of women who have had breast cancer are told they can't have vaginal oestrogen. And we know the insert with vaginal oestrogen will say there's a risk of breast cancer and all sorts of risks of things that aren't true. Yet the general consensus is that the vaginal preparations, so either pessary, ring or cream, are quite safe to women who've had breast cancer. Is that correct way of it would you agree with that yes i would i think it's fair to say that i probably get a letter from a gp well certainly several times a year with this question and my response is always no there is no reason why they should not use this and certainly i used to take the view it seems to be wrongly that if you were on aromatase inhibitors that wasn't such a good idea because they're actually do lower the level of estrogen circulating to a very low level. But certainly at a discussion I was at at the UK Breast Cancer Group, 
some years back, certainly one of the medical oncologists who looked into this very thoroughly said, no, there's no reason why patients on, on any form of, of treatment should not use topical estrogens for vaginal dryness. And as you say, it's a symptom that can really make a woman's life in complete misery. Absolutely. And I, I think it's very important and it's really reassuring for you to hear that. And this is something we really need to get out to the wider community because I was talking to a breast cancer surgeon yesterday and she said she doesn't prescribe in the hospital, which is quite common. They ask um, GPs to prescribe. And she has says most of the GPs in her area refuse to prescribe it. And that's because they haven't had the right education and knowledge. And I can understand because of the warnings that are associated when they try and prescribe. So this really, to me, needs to be changed with some urgency. But it's reassuring to know. I mean, certainly one of the things that I've been involved with mostly last year was rewriting all the breast cancer guidelines, for the Northern Cancer Alliance, because I, I unfortunately looked at them and thought, my God, I wish I hadn't. So I then landed myself with rather a lot of work. But certainly in that, we say that topical estrogens are OK. Yes. Um, we also say, say that hormone replacement therapy for women who've had breast cancer does have risks, and these risks and benefits should be discussed with patients. Mm. It isn't a straightforward thing, and it isn't. I think, and I'm sure there are those amongst my colleagues who may feel that to give a woman who's had breast cancer, HRT is a bit like hitting them over the head with a hammer, but it isn't. No, absolutely. And and in fact, this lady I spoke to, was telling you about earlier who has started her HRT, her consultant said to her, well, why don't you just use vaginal estrogen and that will help? And she said that that won't improve my other symptoms. It's not just about the dryness that I was experiencing. This lady was finding it very uncomfortable to sit down and had stopped wearing trousers and close-fitting jeans because of her discomfort. So it is important. And I think if anybody who's listening is struggling in any way, then they should talk either to their doctor or to their nurse or anyone in the hospital. And there is help. And if people don't get help, the first person they speak to, then they should certainly keep trying. So One of the possible sort of bright lights on the horizon is that as part of the cancer strategy that was produced by the working party a while back was to change what we did after we treated patients and to stop just seeing them on a regular because we we see them on on a regular basis and we deal rather poorly with these symptoms whereas if we put them on a question where if they have problems they seek help and what i would like to see is that patients with endocrine problems would be seen in a clinic that specialized in that which would have a number of advantages. One is that it would put them together with people with similar problems. And another is it would actually give an opportunity for some rather better research than we have already. Mm. And also, I think then it would probably take some of these questions out of the hands of people who may not really put them very high up the priority list. Absolutely. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but we can keep plugging away and hopefully change for the future. So before we finish, and I'm so grateful for your time today, it's been absolutely brilliant. Could you just give us three take home tips for women who perhaps have had breast cancer and are experiencing menopausal symptoms? And are there any tips that you would give them just to try and help? I think the first thing is whoever you see, and it it really should be a specialist that you ask about what the options are. And the first options may be to stop the treatment that you're having for a bit to see how you are. So that's a fairly straightforward one. And then if that helps, the question is whether you restart or 
start something different. And if you get to the end of the line in terms of non-hormonal bits and considering hormone replacement therapy to try and get somebody to have a, a reasonable discussion about the relative risks and benefits rather than the, no, you can't do that. Yes. Don't take no for an answer, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's just so important that women feel supported because it can have a big impact, obviously, not just on their direct lives, but anyone around them as well. So I think they need to be clear about what really matters to them, because that's what's important, not what really matters to their doctor. It's what matters to them. Mm. And if they take that as the starting point, OK, there's some people who not wanting their cancer to come back really matters as much as their menopausal symptoms. And that's quite difficult. but it's still that's yes. how they are and it's that should be the starting point absolutely so really good advice uh from a very experienced doctor so thank you ever so much for joining me today tony okay lovely to talk to you for more information about the menopause please visit our website www.menopausedoctor.co.uk